Good morning, church. Wonderful morning to worship the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, we get to start something new uh, this morning, new to us at least, uh, not new. It's uh, ancient wisdom of God. First Timothy is where we will be this morning. If you have your Bibles, open them to the book of First Timothy. If you didn't bring a Bible, you didn't get the memo, you forgot, the dog ate it, it's holding the door open at home, it's by the toilet, wherever it is. Uh, if you don't have it with you, just put your hand up and the guys in the back will be glad to bring a Bible to you. Guys, if you see one, if you could just kind of open them to First Timothy and, and um, get them in the hands of people where they need to be. If you don't know where First Timothy is, just look in the table of contents in your Bible and you'll be able to uh, look up the page number and to find that. Let's uh, pray and see what the Lord has for us this morning. Father, we are so blessed, Lord, when we sit and take time to think about it, to understand that there is this sense of, of um, satisfaction that, is, that the world enjoys that is so temporary and that is so event-based Lord, you have filled us with your spirit. You have saved us and redeemed us and you've called us your children. No matter where we are, no matter who we're with, we know that you will never leave us or forsake us. Lord, you have called us to something that is eternal and not temporary. You have called us something that is filled with honor and glory and is fabulous, and is challenging. Lord, equip us today, encourage us, um, motivate us from your word today to live on this earth with the conduct that you've called us to live, conduct that gives you glory. May this church, Lord, may this fellowship, may people see our good deeds, our lives, our marriages, our families, and give you all the glory for it, Lord, because we would, <laughs> we would not be what we are, nor what we're going to be, had it not been for you, seeking us, finding us, calling us, electing us before the foundation of the world. But open up your word to us and feed us, Lord. We sit here with mouths wide open, asking you to fill us. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all of the God-fearing people said, Amen. Amen. I am excited for, uh, frankly, to be out of Matthew. I, that sounds funny, but it's been, <laughs> not, not to be, mean that with any irreverence. But uh, we've been for the last two years, uh, and, and it's been a valuable two years, hasn't it? I mean, to get a chance to walk through the life, the biography of, of the king um, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the President of Presidents. Um, it's been awesome to go through that. But that is a type of literature we would call narrative. It's, it's a, and I don't use story from the fictional uh, standpoint, but it is a, a, a series of events that are recorded uh, for us to learn from, to understand. Uh, now we move into 1 Timothy, and actually the, the, the extent of the series that we'll do, and I call it a series, it's just... We're going to look at 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And together as a group, they're called the pastoral epistles. 
Now, an epistle, which is interesting, I look, if you're looking there at 1 Timothy, my Bible says the first epistle of Paul the Apostle. So it's an epistle of an apostle. Say that ten times fast. Uh, an epistle is just simply a letter, which is cool because we don't write letters anymore. It's not an email. It's not a text message. Uh, there is thought. There is time. There is energy and effort put into this letter. And you know how it is when you get a letter. Uh, we have a, I have a niece who is uh, in Madagascar serving with the Peace Corps for two years. And we just got the first letter from her. She wrote it like two months ago. You know, it takes that long to get the letter. And it was just like so exciting to open the letter and see, you know, we've been reading her blog. She can write a blog every so often when she rides her bike 30 miles to the closest city where she can get internet. So she'll blog. But to get that letter was special. And so we have this, these letters, this series of letters um, to Timothy, two of them to Timothy and one to a young man named Titus. These guys are Paul's uh, interns. They're his ministry apprentices. They, they are pastors in a sense, but they're more like interim pastors or what we would call bishops. Um, so that's why we read this first epistle to Timothy. So it's written not to Ephesus, which is where Timothy is serving. It's not, uh, the second, it's not second Ephesus. It's first Timothy. So it's a personal letter. So it's almost like we're reading Timothy's mail, which again is kind of, we like that kind of thing. You know, it's sneaky. It's kind of uh, secretive. But I think that there's, it was written to Timothy, but obviously to be shared with the church. So two letters written by the Apostle Paul to this young uh, pastoral intern uh, named Timothy. As a whole, I don't know, I tried to come up with a a catchy, all-encompassing sentence or phrase. And and I think if I looked at the three letters together, for now, this could change. I just titled it Church. If it's broken, fix it. Because we always say that, we have that saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. What if it is broke? Then you got to fix it. And so Paul is addressing issues that are causing the church to struggle. And they might not be what you think they would be. So this is, these next three letters are going to be very practical for us. First Timothy deals with uh, helping. Paul is encouraging a, a young pastor who is up against some difficult opposition some powerful people, to tell them to stay in the game, to fight the good fight, to wage the good warfare, to deal with the issues, when I think Timothy is, is struggling pretty hard with ministry. And how many of you know that sometimes the hardest place to struggle is, is not with people outside the church, it's with people right in the church? And I think that pastors uh, oftentimes take a lot of heat trying to do what's best, you know, oftentimes trying to do what's best for the flock, what's to guard the sheep, to guide the sheep, and just face a lot of opposition, and it's tiring. It's emotionally tiring, and emotional fatigue is a lot worse than physical fatigue. And so I picture Timothy as emotionally fatiguing under the challenge that Paul has, has given him and wanting to cut bait and run. And Paul is saying, Timothy, stay the course. He needed that encouragement to stick it out. So we'll, let's start reading. Uh, we'll see a lot. I, I, there's a lot more I could do by way of introduction, but this will kind of be a flowing introduction as we go through 
and actually uh, look at some things in the, co- in the course of the letter itself. Are we, are we all together? Are we ready to start? 1 Timothy chapter 1, probably written about 66 AD or so, 30 years after Christ was uh, crucified and resurrected. Paul, verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. So they started their letters uh, unlike we do. They started, so he signed the letter first. We signed, we write the whole letter, and then we sign it at the end. So you've got to read the whole letter to see if it's worth reading it, because the person who wrote it doesn't sign it till the end. So they signed their letters first, so they'd open, the, open up the letter and see, it was written by Paul. Oh, okay, this is an important letter. It's from Paul. We've got to read this. And he, Paul has a, a number of different ways he uh, clarifies his own role, depending on where he's writing or who he's writing to. In this letter, he says an apostle. Other letters, he calls himself a bondservant or a slave. But he says, I'm an apostle. I'm one who's been sent by Jesus Christ. Not, you know, he was commissioned by the church. But you can be commissioned by the church and, and not sent by Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you're commissioned by the church if you're not sent by Jesus Christ. So Paul had that, that intimate understanding that this was not uh, just some casual Thing that he was part of, that he had been sent by Jesus himself. And then look how he clarifies that, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. Paul is a messenger of hope, and he's working for hope. And it says, I, I've been, I'm doing this because God commanded me to. It's almost like he's in God's army, and sometimes we see God referred to as the Lord of hosts, and that word hosts is armies, or the Lord of everything, multitudes, the, the universe. And it's that God that spoke to Paul personally. He said, I'm going to make you an apostle. You're, you're going to be sent out to the Gentiles, to kings. When, if you were to join the military... And then they were, they were to deploy you somewhere. You, know, you get the letter, you get the call. says, okay, you know, you're going to Afghanistan. You're going to Iraq. If, you're, if you've joined the army, you don't say, ah, oh, gee whiz. You know, look, my, my kid's birthday's next month, and I got a few things. I got some projects at home I'm working on. I'll tell you what. How does, like, next January work instead? No, you don't. When you're commanded to go, you go. If you recognize the authority that's commanding you, when God commands you to go, you don't make excuses. You go. And you trust him. That's why Paul says he's, he's um, God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ our hope. Our hope. So, this is, so Paul is setting the stage here, sort of a military theme in some ways. So here's who's writing. And, and even that idea of commandment is, is hoping to... Um, Stir something in Timothy. So he says, verse 2, now it's who he's writing to, to Timothy, a true son in the faith. Uh, Timothy, if you've read much of your Bible, uh, this young man, uh, we we see him in Acts 16 is where he first begins to follow and become a, a personal apprentice or disciple of Paul, a disciple of Jesus, but with Paul, learning from him, following him. 
we see his name a lot in Paul's epistles. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. And so we see Timothy's name come up in various places. Um, when, they, when he was first recognized by Paul there in Lystra, Acts chapter 16, he was a young man, probably 18 to 22 years old, and it said he, was, he had a good reputation. He was um, well-known in that area, even at that age. Maybe we know some young men, some young women, that even at a young age, you just look at them and they're of notable character. And that was Timothy. He was raised, his father was a Greek, no, no sense that he was a believer in Jesus, but Timothy's mother, grandmother, had raised him to know the, the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament. So he knew all this. He knew about David and Goliath, and he knew about Jonah, and he knew about Jacob and Esau. He knew all these things. And he's there when Paul gets stoned and uh, dragged out of town and stoned to death. And ultimately, his whole family becomes believers. We don't know about his father, but his mother, his grandmother, uh, and himself become disciples. And so when Paul passes through again, he says, I want to take you with me. And I hope that the older men in this church would take a personal interest in in seeing and identifying young men that have this Christian character, that have this desire to to walk with the Lord, and that we invest. And and older women, same thing with the younger women. This is what Paul will tell Titus. You know, we, we... we can't just figure out, well, we don't understand those youth. You know, well, we'll just leave them to themselves. No, we're called as, as the older men, older women, to uh, pour ourselves in, to encourage them, to walk with them, uh, to invite them to walk with us as we can. That takes time. And he says to Timothy, a true son in the faith. Timothy wasn't Paul's biological son. And one of the things I love about the body of Christ being a family is, you know, I find myself involved in activities and I see around the church this happening where I'm involved in things or doing something, and I've got other people's children with me. And because and, I get to have an influence in their lives, I get to let, invite them to join me as I serve the Lord, whether it's at the soup kitchen or some other things that I'm involved in personally. And you can do that too. My son has been invited to join some of you in different places at different times, whether it's at the nursing home or um, street witnessing. And it's great that we can, so think, think outside the box sometimes. Think outside even your own family. You see someone that might be interested. You can invite them along. And so Paul says Timothy is a true son or a genuine son in the faith. Because Timothy followed Paul, Paul also says he followed my manner of life. So it wasn't just about, you know, and, and again, I just, I use examples from my own life. So, you know, I go to the soup kitchen. You guys go to the nursing home. You guys go different places for visiting. I'm just using this not to say it's any better, but just to say I go to the nursing home, I'm, excuse me, to the uh, soup kitchen with some of the youngsters from church, and it's about more than just um, serving food. It's, it's about conversation. It's about being an example. It's about you know, encouragement. And so as Timothy walked with Paul, he learned more than academic truths about God. He watched Paul's manner of life. He watched his willingness to suffer. He watched his sacrifice. He learned from him the whole way. And so he had become like Paul. He would tell the Philippians, I have no one like-minded like, except Timothy who will not look out just for his own good but will look out for, for what you guys need. So there's a special relationship, a father-son type of relationship that was forged in, in the fires of ministry for Jesus Christ together. 
be very careful who you follow because you will become like them. Isn't that true? Follow someone. I, when I was first learning to be a horseshoer, I found the best horseshoers I could find in the area. The guys with the best reputations said, I want to work for you for free. I'm not, I'll, just, I'll come and I'll sweep up behind you and I'll do whatever's necessary because I know I'm going to learn from you and, and I want to learn from you because you're the best. So in your life, don't just listen to the words, but find people, find Christian men, Christian women who have, been, who have a, a proven testimony with the Lord. A good te- one that you go, you know, that's what I want my family to be like. That's what I want my life to look like. Follow them and see what they do. And imitate that. Do that. Find out what makes them tick. Find out what, what makes them, what drives them. And that's what it was like with Paul and Timothy. We're really making some headway on this, aren't we? We could be in this two years. So that's the introduction. 15 minutes later. And, and again, the normal salutation, he says, Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Sort of a standard um, introduction, except for one thing. He inserts the word mercy. It's not usual. Only in the pastoral epistles does Paul insert mercy. And again, uh, pastors need mercy because sometimes the church is merciless. Um, so <laughs> Paul says, you're going to need grace, Timothy, and you're going to need peace from God, but you are going to need mercy from God because you ain't going to get it from the church. Um, and if anybody knows a, a pastor that has ever been called in to fix up a broken church, there's a reason it's broken, <laughs> and it's tough. So now we get into the body of the letter, verse 3. Uh, actually, but before, allow me to do this. Before we actually start to look at the body, turn over to chapter 3 for just one second because Chapter 3, uh, verse 15, is sort of the uh, thesis statement for 1 Timothy. Because Paul was, was a traveling church planter, and he'd plant the church, get it going, and then he would move on to other places, other churches, other missions, other opportunities. And he would leave and use guys like Timothy to come in and, and help guide the church, help get it established. But there would be local elders local pastors as well. So Timothy was also sort of an itinerant guy traveling, and Paul trusted him to help bring, bring these churches to health. And so chapter 3, verse 15, <clears throat> Paul says, I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, here's why I'm writing, so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Amen to that. That's a simple definition of the church. We are the pillar, what holds up truth, and the ground where what tr- truth is founded on. I mean, we know truth is founded on Christ, but that, that truth is carried forth. If you can't get truth in church, then we're in a sad place, aren't we? And now watch what happens. So that's the reason he's writing, because the church is supposed to be the pillar and ground of the truth, But look what he says in verse 3. He says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Paul says, I had urged you before. He went to this place called Macedonia. It's northern 
Greece. And when he went there, he left Timothy in Ephesus. Now, again, I'm not going to give a lengthy introduction about Ephesus. Uh, I would encourage you to Google it. <laughs> you can read about Ephesus. They were the, the simple introduction is Ephesus. The city of Ephesus was the, where Paul had started a huge riot. And it was the, um, the place, the city that felt responsible for the safekeeping of the goddess Artemis, the fertility goddess of Artemis. So there were sexuality misconceptions and sinfulness there, and there were a lot of other problems. <clears throat> and this is into the Greek culture, which was full of mythology. So he says, Timothy, I, like I told you before, I want you to remain there. So I wonder if Timothy had somehow communicated to Paul, I'm ready to go. <laughs> I've had enough of Ephesus. I've had enough of this. I can't stay here any longer. Can you move me on to somewhere else? And sometimes we get that way, don't we? We get discouraged and feel like, man, can't God just move me on somewhere else? Can't, can't I just do something different? I need a new job. I need a new spouse. I got to move on from this. I'm getting tired. I'm, I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting burnt out. I don't know if I can do it. And he says, as I urge you, I want you to remain, to continue there. Stay with it. And maybe that's um, what God is saying to some of you. You know, look, the job, there's still work for you to do there. It's not done yet. So why is Timothy asked to stay there? What is his job? What are his marching orders? That you may charge some, certain men specifically, that they teach no other doctrine. That word, no other doctrine, it means... Uh, different doctrine, different teaching. teaching, teaching that has deviated from the truth. So this is what Timothy is called to do. He's called to confront deviated teaching. Now, this fascinates me because, number one, I think that'd be a tough job. I mean, if, I'm call, if Paul says to me, Steve, I want you to stay in Fluvanna, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to start some new programs. I want you to fill the seats. I want you to increase the budget. Get some outreach going. Generate some excitement there. The church has got kind of dull. I want you to generate some excitement. All right, I can do that. I can be a cheerleader. I can, come on, let's go, guys. I can preach inspirational messages that people go, oh, yes, amen, pastor, amen. But it doesn't matter how inspirational it is if it's wrong. It doesn't matter how exciting it is if it isn't true. Now, there are, this is a challenging saying in our day and age because we've got messages all over the Internet. And we've got, you know, generally, now this congregation, because of the way we study, I think you guys are more used to digging in. But in a lot of churches, in a lot of places, people show up. They don't even have to bring their Bible. They listen to the guy or the woman sitting up front teaching and just take what's said there to be the truth without ever discerning it for themselves, without ever being Bereans. And here's the challenge. I have three dogs at home, and little Sandy Jo, she's the little Chihuahuan. She's a dachshund chihuahua. Real blessing to our family, let me tell you. <laughs> she's cute, but she loves chocolate. And I hear you growing because you know the problem with that. But you think you could tell her that chocolate doesn't taste good? She knows chocolate tastes good. She wonders why we humans get to eat it, and she doesn't get any. It'll kill her. It'll make her sick, but it tastes good. See, just because something tastes good doesn't mean you should eat it. 
And we live in a church. Now, how do people choose churches? When's the last time you heard? I'll ask people, well, you know, how's your church? Oh, it's great. The music's awesome. It's really exciting. All my friends go there. Oh, we can't leave that church because my friends are there. Who cares if your friends are there if they're not teaching the truth? Look, you've got to put first things first, folks. And, and so maybe some of you are going, well, I guess we're done with this church. No, you know, okay. <laughs> But it's okay. You know, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be discerning. You're not supposed to be... You're supposed... Sometimes infants are more discerning than the church. Infants, you give them something, they go... And they start spitting it out, you know? And you go, it's good for you. It's good for you. If it doesn't taste good, they don't want it. You guys have to be discerning about what you're feeding on. Because what you're feeding on spiritually is what will form and formulate your life. And this is why the first thing Paul says, Timothy, here's what we got. If we want to have a healthy church, and again, if we're going to fix the church, you know, if it's broken, fix it. One of the things that can easily be broken in the church is the teaching. Because right now, it is the thing that the church people are the least demanding of. The bar is so low for good, solid proper teaching i get videos and i get stuff sent and i read books and stuff and you some of you that know me know man sometimes to a fault i can be rough on on teachers again i'm not talking about quality i'm not talking about good you know not criticizing a person because he didn't present it right or didn't do a good enough job but but if, if i watch and and paul will tell us that they the teachers will teach false doctrine or, or wrong or deviate from the truth for greed for greed and to get people to go ooh and ah and, and all that and i'm not saying inspirational messages are wrong and i'm not saying all these things are are bad but look we have made it a determination because i don't trust myself to bring you the whole counsel of god's word everything from genesis to revelation so i'm not tempted to have some pet doctrine or follow some deviant path that would mislead you all, would mislead myself. You guys have to demand not just good teaching, correct teaching. And the way we do that is by opening up the Word of God. Now, here's how it happens. Timothy, you've got to charge that they teach no other doctrine, no deviant teaching, because here's what's happened. The people are giving heed to fables, falsehoods. Muthos is the Greek word to myths. Good stories that have good you know, meanings to them, and, and they're, they're good illustrations of, of, tr- of, of a type of what someone might call a truth, not a biblical truth, but, you know, they have the moral of the story is good, you know, and they're exciting. And, but again, people are eating it up, they're sucking it in, they're sucking it down. And it's false, it's a falsehood, it's a myth. It's not from the Bible. And these could be myths, and they don't really know exactly what these things were, in their church, it could be any number of things, but the point is that they were concocted fictional stories that were placed, you know, maybe they read one line out of the Bible and spent the next 30 minutes talking about some story that may have nothing at all to do with what was just read. I see that all the time. And as I say these things, I please want you, please, please understand something. I'm not trying to to say that we're right and everybody else is wrong. You understand that, right? I'm, not, I'm saying I recognize that what Paul wrote to Timothy is important and true. 
And so I respond to that saying, we've got to make sure we're teaching the right things. And so we police those things. And please, I, you guys know I have an open email address. You can email me anytime and say, hey, Steve, we dis- I disagree with what you said. And here's why. Boop, 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 boop. Give me the Bible. And, and then we'll talk about it. But don't tell me it's because some other teacher you heard 16 years ago who was, you know, you saw on TV and they carried a Bible and, you know, because they carried a Bible and wore a suit and took up an offering that that meant what they said was true. Eat the meat, spit out the bones, right? And cross-check everything through God's word. Don't assume that, that someone who's preaching to you is in it for your good. Oftentimes, this is the difficulty with religion. Difficulty we see creep into church. Sometimes people are, they don't care about you at all. What they care about is lining their own pockets and using ignorant people and, and unlearned people to do it. So, teach no other doctrine nor give heed to fables or endless genealogies. Um, that could be Jewish genealogies. And, and these are all things that would, would cause disputes. That's what Paul says. These things cause disputes. They cause questioning. They, they're controversial rather than godly edification, which is in faith. I mean, I've read stories and books about the pre-Adamic race. There was a group of people before Adam. There are other, you know, fables about a culture and a group that lived in America and and before and Jesus came here. And all these things are, they're myths and they're speculative. And, you know, there is so much that we know that's true right here. Stick with that. If you hear someone that comes to you and they've got this deeper understanding, they've got this secret wisdom about some weird thing that you've never heard of before and they can't, it's not in the Bible, it's just something they connect and you just go, you know, thanks, but no thanks. I'm not going to spend time dealing and learning about controversial things. I I have a hard enough time loving my neighbor as myself. No no offense to you guys. (laughs) You guys are lovable, it's my issue, right? Now, verse 5 says, let's see how much time we have. We have a few more minutes here. Now, verse 5 says the, the purpose, the aim, the goal of the, com- the commandment of what Paul is telling him to do is love. That's the goal. Love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. That's the purpose. If you're getting good, solid teaching that's true, that's healthy, one of the things we'll see as you go through Timothy, 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, the heavy, heavy emphasis on a word we call doctrine, which is just teaching. You'll see about doctrine of demons. That's pretty scary. Demons teach. Doctrine of demons. But you also see good doctrine. Timothy, there's sound doctrine. There's proper doctrine. All of these things will, and then of course no other doctrine. There's good doctrine, there's sound doctrine, and then there's other doctrine or other teaching or instruction. Good instruction will lead you to love. Good instruction will lead a congregation to be more and more loving. Because good instruction will be synonymous with and will always glorify the Lord. And He is love. So this is what Paul says, I'm not doing this because... You know, this is about me. This is not about me, and this is my church, and somehow I'm, you know, taking some kind of pride ride by, by coming and telling you to, to challenge this stuff. It's not about that. It's about love, Timothy. And sometimes we, we, we call things love. 
know, we say, well, we don't want to, I don't want to tell them that, that that's wrong because I love them. No, if you don't tell them it's wrong, you don't love them. Sharing the truth in love so that we can grow up. Sometimes we have to say, you know, I don't agree with that. I don't think that that's biblical. But we're so scared to step on anybody's toes. Timothy is called to step on toes in Ephesus. To tell them, stop teaching that nonsense. We're not going to tolerate it. We're not going to do it. Because we want, we want the teaching to lead to love from a pure heart. Sincere. No other motives. No other goals. A good conscience. And from sincere faith. No hypocrisy. From which, verse 6 says, some, these some that are teaching this way, have strayed. They've missed the mark. You know, the aim is love. They've missed it. Their aim is not love. They've missed that aim. And this is interesting, having turned aside to idle talk, to just empty chatter. It's just, you ever, you ever see that? You, you watch something or you hear, uh, again, sometimes I hear a message and maybe you're saying that right now. And you just go, you know, you leave and you go, what was that? You know, where, where, was there anything in there of substance? It's just kind of endless, empty talk. You know, if it's about fictional stories and about other, you know, wonderful illustrations, but no substance. See, we're form junkies. As long as it's presented well, we love it. I want you to be content junkies. And they've turned aside, it's a medical word that means to be dislocated, out of joint. So it's like if, when I was a kid, I remember this vivid memory of my neighbor. You know, I grew up in a neighborhood with a lot of kids. And we all played sports together, rode our bikes together, skateboards. I don't know how we lived through those days because we did some crazy stuff. But I remember this one neighbor, a young man named Danny, and he had come running down the, the, he was running toward his house, holding his arm, shouting, get my mom, get my mom. He had fallen off his bike, hit a curb, dislocated his shoulder. It was out of joint, sort of hanging there. I know, it was kind of gross, right? But that's what Paul is saying here. They, they've missed the mark and they've kind of taken a right turn. It's dislocated. It's not, it's not lining up anymore. And here at verse 7, it says they, they, they desire to be teachers. This is their ambition. I want, they want to teach, and, and that's fine. The problem is they don't understand what they say, nor the things which they affirm, or the things that they uh, confidently approve. And I have found this to, to be true, that those that uh, have errant doctrines or those that teach you know, some, some weird things, they're very confident in it. They're very, very confident. You look at them, and sometimes we draw off their confidence. We think, well, if they're going to say that that confidently, that must be right, must be true. This, Paul says they're both proud and ignorant. They want to be teachers of the law. And this is one of the problems they face is that these guys were bringing back up and bringing people back under the law. The Mosaic Law, you know, you, you got to watch out what you eat. You got to watch out. You can't get married. We'll see that later in Timothy. You know, you're more spiritual if you don't get married. Wow, we've heard that before. Um, you, you know, you have to abstain from certain foods. So there's all these. You know, you're you're a Christian, fine, but that's not enough. You need other. You need to to have these other practices in your life. And Paul said, they don't understand what they're teaching. They don't understand what the purpose of the law is. They don't understand what its place is in, in the overall gospel. Not only that, they don't understand where these things are going to lead people. 
Now, again, I'll go back to my horseshoeing days. Um, we used to have guys that would come to the East Coast from the West Coast, and they would bring the latest trends in, in working with horses. And we would suck it up. You know, these are the experts. We'd, and then we'd start to do it. And then the next year, they'd come back and say, that thing we taught you last year, well, it was all wrong. We just learned that that was wrong, and now we're doing it this way. And sometimes, and they don't realize that meanwhile, while we, we took what they said as truth, started putting it into practice, and started having problems because of it. And that's what they don't understand. When you teach people the law, instead of love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith, what it produces is self-righteousness, critical spirits, judgmentalism. When we start getting into haggling about who's doing this and who's keeping that and, and all these things we've got to do, it just produ- have you ever been in or seen a church where, where that's the kind of the nature of the teaching and it just produces just a con- there's no joy in the congregation and everybody just is sour and well let's let's um let's do something crazy and stop there because it's like it's 16 minutes after uh, I'd love to go on this is going to be a long we could be two years in Timothy here but but a lot of this stuff will start to flow a little bit more as we a lot of this stuff is introductory. And I just want, let's just, you know, we can close it up. We'll, we'll see next week the purpose of the law and, and fabulous verses 12 through the end. Just phenomenal. If you know someone that is not saved, and, and I hope you do, if there's any way this week that you can talk to them and invite them to church next week, because, are oh, you closed your Bibles already, didn't you? Okay, keep them closed, keep them closed. Paul says, and we'll study this next week, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe. It's a real encouraging idea to people that think that they are beyond the hand and the reach of the grace of God. So you may know someone that just thinks that you know, they've done too much or they've been too bad. Compared to the Apostle Paul... You know, you're like a, a church acolyte. You know, you're like a, an altar boy. And we'll talk about that next week. So I'm going to invite uh, Phil to come up. We've got a few minutes to just spend in worship. And um, I hope you take away from this that you really need to care about what you're learning. You know, you really need to care about, and not just in church. Look, you go home and you cut the TV on. I pulled up the internet the other day, and I don't, you guys know, we don't have TV. We, when they trade, when they changed over to this, whatever, satellite box or for reception or something, we didn't get one. So we don't have, we don't have a television. And I am so thankful, because I feel sorry for people that are constantly inundated with so much sexual content. I am so thankful that I don't see that stuff most of the time, because I don't know if I could deal with it. We are constantly inundated with the world teaching us. And, and a lot of times we just suck it in and go with the flow. And God calls us the, His church. And, and again, we talk about revival. If we want to see revival, it'll happen when the church is not conformed to the image of the world. Not slammed in, stuffed into, because we got a church right now that is trying to imitate the world. And we've become so close to the world, it's hard to tell the difference. 
We are called to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that's what I want to see. That's what has made the difference in my life. Just getting into the Word, um, being careful of what goes into the, to the eye gate, uh, the, the, the ear gate. Because those things affect your brains. Like, I heard about this new song, this, this song by this guy named Psy, or what's his, this oriental fella who's got this number one. I'm not going to tell you the name of it because then you'll go home and it'll be in your brain like it's in my brain. I listened to it because I want to see what the rage is about. You go, oh, I don't want to watch that. I shouldn't have listened to that because now it's stuck in my brain. So now we have to sing so I get something else stuck in my brain. So we're going to stand and, and just spend a few minutes worshiping the Lord. And every week I offer the invitation. No games, no gimmicks. Uh, if you want to be saved, if you want to know uh, what happens when you die, if you want to become a child of light instead of a child of darkness, then I invite you to take a bold stand today and say, I'm going to live differently. I'm going to be different. I'm going to align my life with Jesus Christ no matter the cost. Just come on down and we'll pray with you for that. Right, Phil? Yes.